Did you know podcasts reach millions of people every month? Podcast advertising is a great way to reach new customers. In fact, you'll be speaking directly to them. Visit audiometric.io now to find out more. enjoy the they're being in uh, Pennsylvania obviously where we're from exactly. so that was kind of cool well, I like this because Scott was like wanting him to be serious and quit all of the puns and I was like really wow yeah that thing has can blast its way and at least put up a good fight. Come on. Yeah. But uh, I guess he learned he learned from uh, Venom too much and just run away. Mask Computer, scan files. Select mask agents best suited for this mission. Jason Gross, radio broadcaster, retro gamer, blogger, mask movie co-writer, vehicle code name 6000, 80s guru skills critical. Wyatt Blue, broadcast technician, DJ, airman, mask movie co-writer, vehicle codename Phoenix, 80s analysis vital. Personnel approved. Assemble Mobile Armored Strike Command. Welcome everyone to MassCast 40 and another exciting episode review of the Mobile Armored Strike Command animated series. Thanks, as always, to our faithful listeners for tuning in, and for those of you who are relatively new to the show, we appreciate you being here as well. We always welcome your interaction prior to each recording through our website at agentsofmass.com. Just find the MassCast assignment in the right-hand column on our homepage, and follow that link to watch the episode, rate it in our 1-5 to scale poll, and leave your personal review in the comment section for us to read on the air. Our feature episode this time is number 29, A Matter of Gravity, which was originally broadcast on November 7, 1985 in the U.S. The plot consists of Venom using a gravity ray to melt anything in its path, which includes mask agent Hondo McLean and his vehicle Firecracker. Coming up is our usual play-by-play commentary with audio clips from the show and our ratings and our listener feedback. But first, allow us to introduce ourselves. My name is Jason, and with me is my co-host and longtime friend, the long arm to my bulletproof... Cops. Central organization of police specialists. Fighting crime in a future time. Protecting Empire City from Big Boss and his gang of crooks. Wyatt, are you ready to fight some crime? I'm ready. Let's go get some cops. <laughs> I can't remember the intro, but I love that show. I actually liked uh, Longarm because he, his little handcuff would eject out and go grab someone. Kind of like the Batman kind of theme. Yeah. I, I don't remember watching the show uh, growing up, and it wasn't really... I think I believe it was you who bought me the entire series for my birthday a few years ago. It was. And uh, I've become a more of a fan since then, really. And uh, I actually got in and collected the uh, the comic book series, which was... It was just like 15 issues or something. 
But um, that's more than that I knew. Good. I just knew it as a TV show. <laughs> well, I I believe they came after the uh, the toy line and the TV show came about. But um, there were some similarities to Mask in that the same uh, music producers Levy and Saban came up with a theme song for Cops, and then it was also produced by Deke Entertainment. So there are some. Some tie-ins there to uh, the uh, same production crew that Mask had right. with Cops. Right, and I it's been some time, so I, I could be actually incorrect on this, but I tried looking at the cast, voice cast at one time, and I don't think any of our Mask voice actors actually went over and did Cops either. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I haven't looked at it either in, in quite a while, but... Um I think it was a, basically a new crew for the uh, for the cops voice actors, but it's a pretty fun show. I I would recommend everybody checking that out. There is a, a couple episodes on YouTube you can find, but the DVDs were are still relatively cheap. I think you can own the whole series for about sixteen or seventeen bucks on Amazon. So yeah, very worthwhile versus the what was already released uh, the nineteen sixties uh, Batman series that's been released. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm a follower. I love that show. And even though it was produced and basically aired in the 60s, I think of it as an 80s show because I think that's when it really like jettisoned back yeah. to mainstream. And uh, It kind of hit a new generation because I remember watching it, you know, I would come home after school and it would be on. Right. And uh, along with G.I. Joe and Transformers, there was, the, you know, the 60s Batman show and. It just kind of hit our generation, I think, the same way it hit the the kids of that time uh, when it came out. Right, and I I casually looked at Amazon to see the prices. It's <laughs> gonna be a while unless I got a wealthy friend somewhere out there in yeah. land that that can give me the set. The normal SD DVD version is a right. thirty some dollars. The Blu-ray well, is a hundred and seventy four. Yeah, keep your fingers crossed. You know, Black Friday's coming up, so yeah, and I hate Black Friday prices. So it better be freaking ten bucks for me to go out there and get it. I have to to get my mask, <laughs> Spectrum something, yeah, to fend off the the beasts. I'll call them yeah. beasts. <laughs> well, I, I try to keep an eye on the uh, the mask complete series that Shout Factory put out uh, a couple years ago in. Uh, Unless you actually it's go still, through Shout Direct. I haven't seen it on Amazon. Well, it's it's there on Amazon. I think it's around 60 bucks usually. Oh, then my wish was incorrect then because it says it's out of stock. So <laughs> <laughs> <Okay. laughs> um, I'm I want my freaking mask. Yeah, yeah. And Shout, if you buy from Shout Directly, it's I think it's still in the 50 to $60 range depending on sales and stuff that they have there. So... Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed, and we'll keep everybody up to date on that, so they can go out and snag that. If, unless you live in uh, Europe, and you know it's going for pretty cheap over there. <laughs> so, well, anyway, let's uh, let's move right into what's happening in the mass community. Well, first off, those of you who listen to MassCast on a regular basis might have noticed a little change in the intro and why it kind of ended up that effort to change our code names, and we uh, we changed that up a little bit there. You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, we uh, It kind of just hit us when we talked with Doug Stone and uh, kind of just hit it going, you know what, it's been almost three years and we have the same intro, and granted, most 
TV shows tend to stick with the same theme or, or something. We thought we'd refresh ours just a tad. Uh, previously, our code names and our cars, the cars that we use, were actually ones that we currently have. Uh, of course, I have to unfortunately admit that I had to trade in my truck. The tears still run down to this day. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, we thought, you know, let's go back. Let's go back to when we were driving. What were our first cars? And uh, fortunately, they were both 80s cars, so it kind of fit us as a, as a 80s duo. Yes. So we, we were went back and forth, I think maybe a total of three or four emails to kind of come up with the uh, the intro. And, and um, I uh, emailed Jason initially and said, let's go with your original 6000. Of course, his has the SDE, the sport version that he had, but 6000 seemed to, to catch. And then I had an old 1980 Pontiac Phoenix that was unfortunately short-lived, but I did have it. I liked <laughs> A lot of your cars were short-lived back then. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a, whole, that's a debate for a whole other episode. Maybe Very we'd rather meet the actors, too. We could uh, we could do a whole podcast on how many cars you've had in your uh, entire lifetime. We could, and we could go about uh, how many wrecks <laughs> I have on my checkmark list here. And, yeah. But, yeah, that was fun. I mean, we both kind of revere those cars, uh, our first cars, and everybody you know normally does. But mine, I got actually in the early '90s, and it was a 1990 Pontiac 6000. I thought it was actually it had, my mistake. No, it was a '90, and it had all-wheel drive, you know, so I could go in the snow. And then, of course, I moved south, so I really didn't need the all-wheel drive. <laughs> but uh, I still love that car. I remember. It had uh, these really fine grooves on the wheels, and I would be out there with a toothbrush, you know, after I washed it and cleaning all that junk out, making it look really nice. So that was a great car. Fun times. That was back when, uh, before the CD players, and uh, had many of those little contraptions to stick in there. You know, you stick the cassette in, and then you hook it into your CD player. And I had the same <laughs> that's how you had a CD player in the early '90s in your car. I had the same gadget. I had the same gadget. <laughs> but good times, and we we changed up our uh, our description a little bit there, and even added in kind of like Matt Tracker has been doing over the last several episodes, where he calls the agent, and then in the computer kind of gives a reason why that person was chosen. So we've seen a lot of later. I say not a lot, but a few episodes recently that have added that. So we thought, you know, that'd be kind of cool to beef up and kind of grow with the cartoon, like, and then just enjoy what we're doing. And we have a blast. I always say that, but we do. We this is if we could use this as our full time job, you know, love this. <laughs> it would it would be fun to to uh, to get paid to uh, <laughs> to do mass cast, but it is it's fun and it's all about having a good time exactly. and uh, just trying to change things up a little bit, you know, every once in a while to, to keep things fresh. And uh, you know, we, we're going to try to we'll, we'll announce at the end of the show what we want to do next year and our little game plan for mass cast, but uh, we'll get to that a little bit later. But um, been a little bit slow in the community. We'll move on to some other things. Uh, one thing I did want to mention, though, was I saw MattTracker.com's new logo 
um, that he teased over on the Facebook page and uh, looked pretty slick. And uh, I can't wait to see what he's going to do with the website. So uh, everybody uh, go over there and check out the new logo. It's very cool. Um, A shout-out to uh, one of our listeners, Peter Elton from the U.K., who thanked us on Twitter for the Doug Stone interview. And uh, we just want to say thank you, Peter, for listening. And we appreciate that comment. And we were, you know, uh, obviously (laughs) really excited to get Doug Stone on the show. And that was probably the highlight of MassCast so far, (laughs) I would say. Um, Other than starting that this year. That's true. That's true. I also thought it would be fun. I used to throw out um, some statistics in the past uh, as the website was coming up and such, and I thought it would be fun to go and uh, grab some stats off the site and from the podcast and stuff and let everybody know just a little bit about us and kind of pull the curtain back, so to speak. <laughs> um, here are some. We passed uh, just uh, this month – uh, 150,000 all-time page views on the website, which was that's awesome. It's 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 very cool. I mean, obviously, you think of some other sites, and they probably go through that in a day. But I'm really proud of that, just because I know it's the fans that are that are getting on this site. And yeah. for a site that's three years old, that might seem you know not much, but a third of that, about 50,000 of those views, have been just this year since we changed over the 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 site to Agents of Mask from Mask the Movie. So that was back in April, so that's that's pretty impressive I think for for the page view count since then and right for that niche that we have, you know, we seem to be um uh, like a conduit for other mask fan sites as well as just kind of being in the know for well various mask facts or fun or what yes. we come across. So I, I, I think, you know, that's pretty impressive. We're not we're not the big dog, you know, CNN or whatever. <laughs> but, but still, I think it's quite impressive. Yes, and uh, thanks to uh, Mask Day back in September, that was our best month ever. Um, we almost had 9,000 visits just that month. So we've been building the momentum since the relaunch in April and definitely appreciate everybody stopping by and spreading the word. Um, unfortunately, I don't get too many stats from our new podcast host. They're trying to beef that up a little bit, and I think they're going to go through a, a retooling of sorts um, and, and try to give us some stats before too long. But I do get a total of all-time listens, and since we switched over to this new host about two months ago, we've crossed the 1000 barrier so that's awesome that's pretty cool um and that includes you know we we got our full library back up in iTunes so i think a lot of people have been going back including myself <laughs> and uh and listening to some of the older episodes and trying to find a, a few that they wanted to seek out and listen to again so uh, you know 500 downloads a month that's great um and i i guess you know, the Doug Stone interview would have a good bit to do with that. And, uh, you know, we're still, we haven't done many, uh, many podcasts this year, actually, compared to our first year. But it's, it's nice that, uh, to see the stats at least and to throw that out there that people are listening. Right. I agree. So, and then one final thing as far as stats go, um, we still have the actor polls 
available, the, the final ballad, so to speak. And we've gotten over 1,700 votes so far, which is pretty amazing. And if you do the math divided by the – there's 12 polls in all. That's about 150 people who have basically voted in every one. So I'm hoping we can get maybe that up to 200 and maybe about 2,500 votes, and then I'm going to shut it down, and uh, we'll see the results. And hopefully that will be you know before the end of 2014 here. And um, I've got some plans, hopefully, to use those results and to kind of uh, maybe do some photoshopping and uh, <laughs> get those actors into an actual, you know, what would be like if they were Matt Tracker and Gloria Baker and Miles Mayhem, you know. So I got a little ace up my sleeve on that. I'm hoping <laughs> we'll I'll be able to pull out and uh, be able to do some cool stuff on our movie pitch uh, page on the website. So thank you for everybody who has voted in that. And um, I guess that'll about do it for what we've got going on in the mass community. Wyatt, are you ready to have a gravity filled adventure in Philadelphia? I'm ready to start the mass cast. We come upon a freight train. Hmm. I think we just saw this last episode. Oh, wait a minute. No, this is the episode. <laughs> Come on a freight train making its way into Philadelphia when they begin to slow down. The perplexed engineers question what's going on as a reddish-orange beam engulfs the train. What? What's going on? I don't know. Tracks are busted. Let's get off this thing. Rushing off of the train, they then witness the confusing demise of their diesel locomotive as it is flattened. Scott watches the news story on, on this train and is surprised as we switch to T-Bob announcing that it is 12 o'clock and time for... <laughs> as Scott rushes out to tell his dad and Hondo, who are relaxing to a very invigorating game of chess. Now, poor T-Bob. Now, apparently he's he's on butler duty now or something because Scott doesn't even stop to help him clean up. You know, it's lunchtime, smash. Right. And it, no, it wasn't like, I'd say maybe half a dozen or so episodes, wasn't he like a, a god and, and all that? I mean, <laughs> right. Yeah. he's back down to servant. <laughs> anyway, so Scott pulls Matt away and into the mass computer room and shows him the news feed. Yeah, and I, you know, I was thinking at this point there needs to be a lock on that door so he doesn't oh. just <laughs> go into the mask uh, computer room there where Matt does his work, you know, away from Boulder Hill. But um, I also, I mean, it was a good opening. I, I did enjoy the there being in uh, Pennsylvania, obviously where we're from, exactly. so that was kind of cool. I was wondering kind of why Matt and Honda were just sitting there playing a game of chess or starting a game of chess, really. They didn't really go into why he was over they there. They were the on the union break. That could have been. You know, it could have been uh, summer vacation, you know, at school or something. <laughs> anyway, um, the TV report continues with this interview of one of the crew members saying, No, ma'am, it wasn't any kind of wreck. We didn't hit anything. We didn't even see anything. We cut to T-Bob, and he's all cleaned up now, and he looks like he's carrying a cake. 
And again, he's calling for Scott. Switch back to the TV report, and they say nothing was taken from the train except all of its coal. And the reporter signs off from outside of Philadelphia. Scott tells Matt that it's a pretty good mystery and asks if he can go check it out. Matt tells him that he is acting like he wants to go along. Well, duh, of course he does. Uh, this is Scott, you know. And Scott says, I'm supposed to do this report on money. And one of our mints is in Philadelphia. So I could be doing my research. Hmm. Now that was kind of a sneaky way to, yeah. <laughs> to tag along. But I thought it was good. He had a, trying to come up with a reason. And, you know, when you're, when you're that young and you've got homework or something and your parents tell you you can't do something, you're trying to weasel your way into, into coming, tagging along, you know. So after nodding to Hondo, Matt says, uh, deal. And Scott goes running out of the room, and of course we smash into T. Bob <laughs> again uh, after he's calling to, for him to eat his lunch, and he sprays the food in this like T. Bob shaped pattern on the wall. I thought that was actually kind of comical. I find so, it interesting, you know, if we did similarities where we're from, I think this episode was part of uh, some of our hometown stuff because you know we're from coal country, so it was kind of I, I found it kind of comical that. They had this episode there. It was neat to figure out maybe where they are outside of Philadelphia. If they're if they're traveling west to east, you know, they're somewhere in the in the middle, which is where we're from. So I thought that was really really fun. But um, Scott again, he runs down the hallway, doesn't give any help to T. Bob, and then we cut right over to the train. With the police on the scene and Thunderhawk and Firecracker pulling up. Right, and coming up upon the, the investigators, Matt queries if... Excuse me, did they ever find the coal that was stolen? Nope. And it don't make a lick of sense. To take that much coal, you'd need 50 trucks. Hondo makes an observation that there are no tracks from any trucks, to which another investigator suggests aliens had taken the coal. <laughs> that aliens was... need to go back to fossil fuels for something. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, what did you think about I, right as they're pulling up to the scene and obviously they drove there. Uh, it just kind of put in my head, where exactly is Boulder Hill? You know, I always thought it was more out west and I couldn't remember if they had like an established any place previously you know, they just, I don't know. What what, what do you think about well, where Boulder Hill is? Uh, there's two interpretations. One, we, you know, with our movie, we've interpreted that it's a desert type of scenario where there's a lot more rocky hills, hillsides, and so forth. And it appears that it is a desert scenario, that, and that's what we use for our movie script. But in actuality, we don't see much aside from that boulder and that short roadway in front of it, we really don't see much. So, yeah, really, Boulder Hill could be anywhere. It could be in the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, you know, for all we know, we don't see it, but they could have taken the, the mass jet and took the vehicles there, for all we know, and the mass jet hiked it back to go get ready for the next load. I don't know. It's, that's true. I really didn't think about that. I was just thinking of, well, they were within driving distance, and they got there while the scene of the crime was still there so i don't know it just kind of hit my mind i i, I do remember scott and t-bob leaving boulder hill one time to go 
maybe to an observatory. I can't remember exactly what episode that was, but it seemed like there was something relatively nearby to where they were, and was thinking it was more in the western U.S. But anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there and get your thoughts. Right. Well, and you know, our home area is nothing but hills, so so maybe Boulder Hill, and of course some even smaller gas stations. Maybe that's where they got the inspiration. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I work at a few of them, as you know. <laughs> not a lot, not against the hillside, so I can't you know contribute in that way that that it was uh, Boulder Hill or anything. But as we right. digressed. The jokes begin as T-Bob jumps in and says, Whoever was driving this thing will have to be retrained. Be serious. Him and his puns. Yeah, well, I like this because Scott was like wanting him to be serious and quit all of the puns. And I was like, really? Wow. Yeah, you really. Know, does, that mean, does that mean we won't get any more puns in this episode? You know, I was like, yeah. <laughs> and how many people like you was doing the same exact cheer? Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> No more puns. No more puns. So Scott seems to take a serious approach, like you mentioned, to, to the matter, and instructs T-Bob to use his chemical sensors to look for the coal. We next see T-Bob's eyes change to, like, a hypnotized look. And he detects carbon directly opposite of the train, then jokes that, I bet I'm on the right track. Well, so much for the puns. <laughs> lived. Uh, they go into scooter mode, and they run off with Scott saying that he thinks that T-Bob's been derailed. Now, he's in on the freaking puns. Yeah, that was, uh, they, they teased us there and didn't come through with <laughs> not leaving those puns it's out. The selling part point. <laughs> now, now, here I put in, okay, so they leave to go explore after they, after T-Bob picks up this uh, coal or whatever, uh, the carbon reading on his sensors, and I'm like, um, Matt, they're leaving again. Hello, where are you? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Dad, you're on the right... Come on, parenting skills. But uh, I guess he puts a lot more faith... And, of course, this is a cartoon. But I guess he they believe that Matt puts a lot more faith into the... I would say preteen. That's my guess. Of, yeah. And, you know, back then it was a different time as well where... You know, we were out playing in the woods until 6 o'clock, and our parents were calling for us to come home for dinner, you know. Exactly. You uh, both- miles away from the house or whatever, and That's it. it was a different time. So I, I'd sometimes I'm critical for Matt not keeping a tighter leash on him, but you think about it back then, it was it was different. It was. You know, you know, we used to ride our bikes, like you said, through the woods, or, you know, we'd be – I remember riding my bike down to – main town Clearfield, which, you know, that's, I mean, really that's not very far. In fact, it's not like like going from one side of New York City to the other. Um, right. It might have been a mile at that. But, you know, that was nothing. It wasn't a big deal as long as you came back for dinner or, you know, right. whatever the time was. And, you know, watch yourself. You're all right. And we did it without helmets. Safety right. gear. Of course, we're going to be arrested for saying this now. But, you know, uh, anyway... Yeah. So uh, so back to the episode, they head into the woods. T-Bob says he is still picking up a large piece of carbon. They stop and discover this large diamond-looking crystal behind some bushes. Wow! A giant diamond! We're rich! We're rich! We'll never have to work again! Um, Did they ever? They're already rich, right? Really? <laughs> And poor T-Bob slaving away. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> well, after some funhouse-type looks through this large crystal, uh, Scott says, this is great mystery stuff, and wants to get Matt and Hondo to take a look at it. So we come back to Thunderhawk and Firecracker on the scene with Matt and Hondo now in their flight suits. Hondo exclaims, What a rock! How'd you like to wear that in a wedding ring? <laughs> uh, Matt laughs and as he walks towards Thunderhawk and he climbs inside. And he requests that the onboard computer to scan the video image of the crystal and to analyze it and see if it is actually a diamond. The computer says, no, it's it's not natural. It's ordinary coal compressed into this shape by an unknown source of great power. So Matt thinks that's how they were able to move uh, all that coal from the train. And I don't know. I think he there needed maybe another line here explaining how much actually was kind of compressed into that size. Um, and, you know, later on we'll see all these... Uh, crystals left behind in this clearing, but I don't know. I I thought maybe one other little extra piece of data there might have helped to uh, understand how that was, you know, kind of compressed. Right, and I, and I can see that. Uh, I guess I just didn't think about it, but that's a good point. You know, we could have used more, but maybe it is that we're reading to, into it as an adult. But you know, we we would like to have more information. Whereas a kid, right. uh, where's the battle scene? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> We're waiting for that to come up. But Matt, he still is pondering why they took the coal in the first place, and T-Bob begins to lose his balance here, and he slides off the top of this crystal. What's wrong, T-Bob? Something's jamming my balance, gyros. I feel like a blender. Must be a powerful electromagnetic force. Mask. Spectrum. Scan all frequencies. It seemed that Matt knew a little bit more about how T-Bob works or something, uh, which, you know, I typically think Scott is the one that built him, but it sounded like... You know, we, he, we say that, but, you know, there was a time where Buddy was actually working on So we, Right. If, who really was the designer of T-Bob? Yeah, that was never really made no, it wasn't. known, but... Uh, Anyway, Matt calls for his mask, and then we immediately use Spectrum to scan all the frequencies. And then he discovers that something is causing ripples in the Earth's gravitation field. We then see T-Bob hugging a tree, <laughs> shaking it, and a squirrel out of the tree. Then it just stops, with T-Bob saying that he's glad because he was getting rattled. It would have kind of been more funny. I didn't notice, but it would have been more funny to see like a couple bolts or something Yeah. With him. I was wondering why the humans weren't feeling it, really, and why it was just him. And I I guess it's because it's electromagnetic or whatever. And I guess. I didn't really understand why well, it's the same, it it's was It's the same kinda, thing, I guess, like um, uh, in the last episode where we had uh, blackout magnetizing things. True. Right at the intro, we see T-Bob and every other metal object you know, being drawn right. to the roof instead of drawn like to the nose of the train or to the rear or wherever the black yeah. was actually at. But uh, aside from that, Hondo asks, What was it, Matt? I don't know, but I got the source coordinates. So let's go to the source. All right! All wrong, kiddo. You and T-Bob head back to the railroad. We'll pick you up later. What's he going to do with the railroad tracks? I guess because there's people there that <laughs> kind of babysit for them. 
<laughs> right, and what, it wasn't dangerous enough for them to be there, you know, so far? Yeah, no. <laughs> that, oh, well, now it's it's too dangerous. Let's, let's get you out of here. Right. I'm going to take a bird's eye view. Bye-bye, birdie. I actually like the, the sound effect they used for Thunderhawk this time. After a brief flight, he comes upon a field of crystals that informs Hondo of the find. Just as Matt says that mayhem is long gone, we hear the theme song. I love hearing it now. Uh, not that I didn't like it before, but it's it, like I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for it. When's it going to appear? Right. And I don't I don't think he said mayhem. I think he said whoever made the crystals are long gone. And that's why Absolutely. it was kind of more of a surprise when this truck approaches Firecracker and we see who it is. Right. We, and then we actually see it is Vanessa driving the truck, and Hondo informs Matt that... Maybe not too long gone, Matt. I just caught Vanessa Warfield red-handed. This is going to be easy. His mask comes down with no instruction, and just as he says that it will be easy, the transformed jackhammer comes out from behind and starts blasting away at him with his lasers. We see a dumbfounded Hondo puts Firecracker into its tank mode and just... I guess slams it right into reverse and ends up wedging the truck in between two tree trunks. With Hondo in a tight spot, he leaves Firecracker and just runs off. <laughs> I was wondering why he didn't fire back. I mean, he's got guns in the front of that thing. Shoot back for the crying out loud. That thing is, well, like I said, it's a tank. That thing has, can blast its way and at least put up a good fight. Come on. Yeah. But uh, I guess he learned he learned from uh, Venom too much. He just run away. Uh, <laughs> this compliments Dagger saying this is the first thing she's seen him do something right <laughs> that was funny I like that Hondo informs Matt that they got by him and that they are heading east Matt confirms and says that he's taking the elevator so he's back in the air again yeah and this was like the same conversion sequence a minute earlier just a mirror image of that did you notice exactly I did notice and you might have to relook uh, if you've missed it but look at where Matt is sitting. It's back to the the right hand side, like he's driving the right hand, the yeah. European side. Yeah, and that, actually, we'll get into they use it one more time in the episode, which kind of irritated me. But um, I was wondering, they do some good radioing back and forth just with their masks, you know, in this episode, and I wonder how the blaster mask has a way to communicate with it's just being, you know, kind of over the top of his head. <laughs> There's no real, like, mouthpiece or something for him to talk into. No, but, you know, mask is high-tech. I'm sure there's, like, a little tiny mic notch that's just, like, right above his nose or something. Well, Hondo, you know, after he gets this thing saddlebagged in between these trees, <laughs> he uses Blaster to knock over one of the trees into free Firecracker. And I was wondering, well, why didn't he do that earlier when he had his head out the window? Exactly. And he's... <laughs> so I was like, this whole situation was... I don't know. It was like Hondo was uh, a little bit off this day. and uh, But it adds to the drama. <laughs> well, it does. And later in the episode, he's complaining he doesn't have a vehicle. And this time, he just <laughs> kind of leaves the thing behind. He gets out and starts taking off and retreating. But <laughs> anyway, um, after uh, we get Firecracker free from these trees... We go back to Scott and T-Bob heading towards the railroad, and uh, deer and several small animals start passing them along the wooded road. What is this? 
the road to Noah's Ark? They're sure scared of something. There's nothing scary around here, except that big ugly venom vehicle with cannons. Ah! Whoa! T-Bob drives into this large, like, muddy area in the road, and they get stuck. And it looked like they almost sunk in a little bit. It did. I don't, it just, I don't know. It was more than just a mud puddle, at least it looked like to me. And, you know, Dagger's coming up on them, and he's like, what the heck is that? And he tells them to get out of the way, and just at the last minute, Scott pulls T-Bob out from colliding with Jackhammer, and then Vanessa in the truck follows as well, and we see Firecracker following both of them. Right. And Thunderhawk finally circles overhead, and Matt radios down to Hondo that he's above, and he starts firing a few shots down at Jackhammer. Hondo turns on the hypno headlights to slow down Vanessa in this cargo truck. As long as you're looking, take a look at the hypno headlights. Got her. Now just shoot out the tires to hold her. And just then that pinkish, orangish kind of glow appears overhead, and it's now shining down on Firecracker. And the grill guns fire, but the shots basically just impact a few feet in front. Firecracker starts to collapse, and Hondo's wondering what's going on. T-Bob, he starts to get his uh, little shock waves again and starts to lose his balance. He actually loses his steering and throws Scott off the <laughs> off of T-Bob. And then we're back to Firecracker and continuing to collapse. And Hondo is unable to open the doors or even really lift his head to use Blaster to, to get out. And in a, in a last-ditch effort, he radios Matt for help, saying, Matt, do you read? I'm in one bad squeeze play. As we fade to the dramatic commercial. Right, and I wanted to catch something. You, you didn't hit on it, but I wondered if you caught it. Back when they were at the... When Firecrack was out back at the trees, did you notice that the music bed that was playing? Mm, no. You might have to relook at this or listen, but it sounded to me like the Whippet music. <laughs> no kidding. And right away, I'm thinking, man, if Vanessa was in there, that I mean, that'd be almost like too coincidental that Jason would think about it 30 years later. <laughs> or video. So you think it was like a new piece of music that we haven't heard yeah, before? Yeah, it wasn't complete like they stole the music, but it's pretty dang close. They ripped it off. At least a, a small, check that out. Yeah, it was a small portion that they did. But uh, <laughs> well, we're at the at the halfway point now, or halftime, as we say. Um, what was your impression so far of the episode? Well, I've come down from a five. Uh, if we could do it, maybe like a four point eight, so to speak, and that that's basically <laughs> on on the fact that one, it wasn't a joke or anything like we typically nitpick at, but what got me to come down was actually the reverse that they did on the transformation for Thunderhawk. Mm-hmm. That that made me, you know, you'd think, I know that they did this sometimes, but you would think that they catch this by now. The second one was when they switched from their civilian suits when they come up to the tracks 
And then all of a sudden, they're in their flight suits when they're coming up to see what Scott and T-Bob are, are seeing for these crystals. How do you yeah. do the switcheroo? I mean, it's not like you're going down the bat pole and switching instantaneously. Come on. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's I, what I will... knocked it down for me. Otherwise, I actually liked it. I liked the, the drama, uh, and I liked the... Uh, I won't say near death, but pretty, you know, the very troublesome uh, suspense that we have building up to the, the commercial break. Yeah, it, I'll, I'll agree. There was a few flaws, and my maskometer uh, <laughs> might be closer to four at this point, just because, I mean, we hadn't had the call up yet, which kind of gave a false sense of the beginning of the mission to me. Um, I don't know why Honda was at the mansion in the first place and why they chose really not to call the team when they were going to go help with this quote-unquote mystery. So I guess what is a mission versus a mystery? Um, so, you know, I guess I took it as, you know, these two, they thought they could handle it, and if they needed to get the recruits, but you know, then they would do it if they needed it. Yeah. Uh, that's how I took it. I guess I just didn't think of it too depth de- yeah. in that. But it was, it was good in a sense that there wasn't a total reveal yet either. Right. You know, Venom, we knew Venom was involved, but that hasn't been made clear exactly what was going on. And I was really hoping for a nice bookend in the second half of the episode to kind of pull that all together. But we uh, we go back to the episode, and Hondo is still in trouble. Right. He's basically continues to plead, raising his arm out of the, the door frame, I guess just praying that someone rescues him. And then Matt looks around for the cause and discovers... Switchblade. Mayhem. And it looks like he got a new toy for Christmas. Shooting off a blast at Switchblade, the lasers end up deflecting down, which Matt concludes that the gravity machine affects them. Well, gee whiz. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) That was with a touch of Bruce's voice, too. That weapon must increase gravity somehow. Enough to affect even my lasers. It just, it, I guess it was kind of he was talking a little bit slower than he does, you know, like like Doug was saying when he does Bruce, it it's slower and more direct. Where Matt's always, you know, ready to give you his opinion. But anyway, it just had a touch of Bruce in there. I noticed. I missed it. Miles chuckles, uh, which I love the actual animation for the chuckle. I like this. It says, mm-hmm. "Try again, sucker," <laughs> concluding that he can't actually hit Switchblade, he uses two thermite bombs and then hits the bombs with his lasers, causing them to explode near Switchblade, and that explosion ends up knocking Switchblade out of the air, which removes the gravity machine from Firecracker, with Hondo stating that... That's a load off my mind. Blaster on! Then he's able to use his blaster mask, which he had tried before, and it didn't do anything. But did you notice it actually had like the lifter sound to it? The little woo 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 sound effect to it. No, I didn't notice that. No, I had to go back and because when he, you know, he fires a hole through the window, I was like, well, he just had his arm out the window. The door was open, you know, at the end of the episode. But I had to go back and take a look at it again. And when he actually uses the mask, it's on the sunroof window. Oh. Of the uh, firecracker, if, you know, people who have the toy can remember it's got the sunroof on top, and that's how he actually gets out of the vehicle is through the sunroof using the the blaster mask. So next we see T Bob running off, saying he doesn't want to get any shorter, uh, and a very uncontrolled switchblade with the gravity machine still on, 
passes over T-Bob, crushing him a little bit. I'll show that mask, idiot! Miles gets control back and then takes aim at Thunderhawk. Matt jokes that his day is going downhill, but is able to get out of the beam. With a few push buttons, Matt amazingly lands Thunderhawk butt first. That's the best way I can put it. Back bumper, yeah. Yeah, I mean, really, one, I mean, I realize this is a cartoon, but it's not the space shuttle. Come on. Uh, Yeah, I I didn't understand why. I know he was trying to get away from the beam and switchblade, but you you could have done that with, uh, you're in the jet, he was still in the helicopter, you know. Get a couple moves in your jet, and you're you're out of there. Right. I didn't realize why he really needed to do that maneuver, and really why Switchblade didn't give more chase right here. You know, he's got the thing locked on him, and he just <laughs> lands this thing basically near where the whole situation went down. And why didn't he follow up and try to get him a couple more times? Exactly. You know. So anyway, so Hondo climbs out of the firecracker wreckage at this point with Scott running up to Matt asking if he's okay. Matt says he's fine after his one point landing and Matt asks Hondo, how about you? Fine, Matt. Feel like I lost about 300 pounds. Fine. I'm glad everyone is fine. Personally, I happen to feel like a garbage can lid. Um, They all pile into Thunderhawk and Matt calls in the team finally. Right, and I took note it was the 11 minute 41 second mark that's when we finally get the team call up yeah and i kind of had that impression too as i'm watching the episode is finally he calls them and he asked the computer for the best team to battle this gravity weapon with hondo pre-selected and we get uh three more agents bruce is called in uh he's basically it looked like he was on a cruise ship or some kind of ferry boat he gets the call on his watch, and he just dives right in. Swim to shore. <laughs> um, the computer says they needed his inventive skills. Uh, Alex is called up next, and he has to get up from his uh, wonderful bubble bath. And thank God there was a lot of bubbles there <laughs> for covering him up. <laughs> but he's in need of his uh, scientific knowledge. And I, I found it interesting here the computer calls him the co-pilot. Of Rhino, and he's always been Rhino Systems Commander. Right? Why? Why now a co-pilot? I didn't understand that, but um, and then we finally get Gloria. Um, she's in the middle of a kung fu lesson, and she just basically leaves them behind. And the computer stated we needed her driving skills and Shark's weapons. Um, I like that they actually even got down to the specifics. We might need Shark there. I was kind of wondering, well, what what weapons are on Shark that they can battle a gravity, you know, weapon or whatever. Right. Um, it just made me curious, I guess, to because uh, we really don't get, we don't have a shark toy, so we don't know, you know all exactly what was intended to be on there. But did you notice the mask watch sound was different? Yes, and I thought that was one of the worst sounds they've come up with yet for that watch. Why Why are they being so inconsistent? I mean, so many episodes, it's that same sound we always hear. And, and they had to make it different this time. I'm not sure why. But anyway, after the call-up, we go over to Boulder Hill, which I liked. Um, Matt's on the big uh, computer screen, 
and the agents are seated around the uh, the war room there, which we've done in the past, which is really good. I like when they do this. Mm-hmm. And Matt's talking to them about the gravity ray. And Mayhem's weapon is so strong, it also acts as a force field. Nothing can get near Switchblade. Sounds like a matter of some gravity, Matt. Ooh, you've been hanging around T-Bob too much, Alex. Sorry. I got a big chuckle out of that. Yeah. Uh, it seems like they were kind of making fun of themselves this episode. Right, and I even joke uh, comment here says that she must think that this joke stink too. <laughs> right. Well, Alex, he apologizes, and then we head up into the mask room. Which I love. We, it's been too long. Yeah, it, it seems like it's been too long. I'm not sure when it, actually the the last time they did that was, but but think about it, as, you know, and I'm, I'm I'm retrospecting here with a lot of the other '80s shows that we see. Mm-hmm. How much time does that take away? I mean, as cool as it is, and I'll be honest, even to this day, I, I still get the chills or the hair raised whenever I hear the Voltron formation or right. this. But I also look at it going, you know, as cool as that is to see it all the time, that does eat away however long the sequence is, a minute, 30 yeah. seconds, whatever, that's 30 seconds that they could use somewhere else. Now, to us, we know that 30 seconds is usually eat up by poor PSAs, but I mean seriously, they could have. I, yeah. I like this. If they would have done every other turn, yeah, I agree. It, I appreciated it, what was in this episode, but to your point, and to what really I took away from this episode was the second half felt just kind of rushed and thrown together. And a little. I, I, I liked that it was there, and we got to see it again, and they did this. Uh, really this, a, a special section of animation just with these three agents and getting their three masks, you know, it's specific to this episode. It's not, wasn't just stock footage. So I appreciated that was there, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's part of the episode. I, I think it should be in at least part of the sequence in each episode, but, um, cause we obviously miss it when it's gone, but it does eat up into some time. Right. So after they uh, they get their masks and energize, we immediately cut to the agents with uh, Matt and Honda. So we don't get any, like we said before, we don't get any mask plane or anything like that to lead us to believe you know how far they are away. Right. Apparently they were relatively close. And Alex, he's drilling into this crystal. They must have created the crystals from the coal with the gravity weapon, then took only the best ones. But what do they want with them? Extraordinary. This is the hardest substance I've ever seen. Matt radios from Thunderhawk asking if they've found any answers. And Bruce hops in Shark to answer him and says they're only finding more questions. So Matt replies that he'll keep scanning for the gravity waves to hopefully find mayhem. And then Thunderhawk converts and this is where we get that same footage again taking off for uh, a third time. Right, and and I was a little disappointed that they didn't even, you know, okay, I can kind of sort of maybe possibly see that they'd made the mistake. They didn't catch it on the second time? Seriously. But Yeah, and it is, you can see it's stock footage. I mean, it's when they take off, it's just kind of a desert setting, and I can't remember which episode it was we were talking about this, where it's almost like they're out in the... Uh, the middle of uh, Nevada there, where they do all the speed testing and stuff, and there's just nothing but flat... Uh, Dirt basically out there where he's taking off and 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 doing that and it's it's really it's a really good animation sequence but 
for the purposes of our critique, you know, we get <laughs> this is the third time we've seen it in this episode, so it can be a little wearing on uh, on when you're trying to review it. But after Thunderhawk takes off, we cut back over, I guess, to the hotel. Yeah, we're back at the hotel room. We see Scott trying to do some body work with a hammer on T Bob's body. I actually chuckled a little bit here. Hurry up with my body. I'm all exposed. Keep your shirt on. Very funny. Well, it's not perfect, but it'll do till I can get a new body. I'll take it. I'll take it. He returns the show, and T-Bob admires the work before they head off to work on Scott's report. In Philadelphia, the duo come up to their first stop, in which Scott identifies it as a mint. And of course, here come the puns. Spearmint or peppermint? No, no. This building is a mint. It's where they make the coins we use. That's called minting. Do they make any other flavors of money? Never mind. Inside, we see the coins passing by on conveyor belts. The joke keep coming as T-Bob states that if he had all of those, he could nickel and dye people to death. But it doesn't stop. Scott tells him to stop with the puns or he'll put him on quarters. <laughs> that was a pretty good threat. <laughs> I liked it, though. I mean, it, it was one of those where you're smacking your hand on your forehead, but it's also kind of comical at the same time. Yeah. Um, just then, we see Scott turn quickly. Then we see guards rush out and Switchblade shooting the gravity ray at the building. What's wrong with you? It's that gravity force. I can feel it in my gyros. I've got to escape. I'll be squashed again. We then see Thunderhawk in the air with Matt's Spectre mask visor flashing. Surprised, he instructs the troops to head to Philadelphia as he's detected the gravity ray there. The team then rushes off. At the mint, T-Bob rushes out and right into the gravity ray. And then, of course, he gets squashed again. I think this is a, like one of those recurring blooper reels, if you want to call it that. First, he gets smashed for lunchtime by Scott. And now he's getting flattened another way by a gravity ray. I mean, what is it? They just want to downplay or short size the poor robot? Yeah. Uh, anyway, but, you know, he squashed again with Scott identifying them and discovering that Venom will rob the mint. We see a quick glance of Mask in route and are flipped right back to a gl very gleeful Venom loading up a, a dump truck. I guess it was with gold coins yes. is what I was trying to figure out what they were actually loading. Gold or even just the regular coins, you know. Yes, and uh, Dagger says, This is great! Nobody can touch us! Nobody'd want to touch you! <laughs> her personality came out in her lines uh, this episode. Um, Mask uh, finally approaches. Rhino's stack guns fall down with uh, Thunderhawk landing right in front of it. I was like, watch out, man. You're going to get <laughs> nailed by a rhino. Um, that he converts back to the Camaro. I, I thought that was interesting because I hadn't really thought about that before where, you know, Matt... We've had a few scenes where Thunderhawk uh, shoots the lasers while the doors are down. And... It just seems to me like Thunderhawk was more vulnerable with uh, it being in Camaro 
mode and <laughs> leading the pack, you know, at this point. But um, Mayhem sees Mask has just arrived from aboard Switchblade. He tells Dagger and Vanessa to dispose of them. Then we see Manta and Jackhammer appearing with this shiny coating on each vehicle. Hondo's now riding shotgun with Bruce and Rhino and says, This doesn't look good. When did Venom ever look good? Thunderhawk it raises its gullwing doors and fires the lasers with Rhino. They're both firing at the vehicles, and Matt exclaimed they didn't even scratch it. The mask vehicles try this kind of reverse move, and Jackhammer fires lasers back at Thunderhawk, and it actually takes off one of the gullwing doors. I thought that was awesome. It was, actually. I liked, Like we've said before, we like the vulnerability. and like seeing, even though it is the good guys, I like seeing the damage there. Right. And then right after that, Vanessa uses those saw blades that we've seen before on Manta. They come out and basically cut off Rhino's battering ram grill. So I thought this was really good. The producers of the show are actually thinking it through. Well, how can we take the edge away from Mask? And we get Thunderhawk basically not able to fly. And Rhino, one of its major weapons, is now uh, inoperable. You know, I'm really excited to see if they'll that kind of comes back to haunt them, you know, at the end of this episode. But Hondo exclaims, Bruce better do something before Vanessa joins them <laughs> inside Rhino. And Bruce does this crazy move driving Rhino. I mean, it was almost like Gloria was driving the thing. It does this, like, reverse 360 maneuver. Mm-hmm. And the, the rear end comes back around and sideswipes Manta, which actually does a flip but lands right back on its wheels. Uh, Hondo gives the maneuver, a, I think he said a five. I don't know out of what, five out of ten? or <laughs> I, Anyway. I like the detail, though, because they actually got in the cab, and you see him switch the gears. Yeah, that, I mean, that was good. That whole sequence was pretty good. And I even noticed the, his foot hit the accelerator. So like, yes. that was actually good detail as we then see the maneuver follow through, and I liked, I liked seeing that. But the maneuver actually takes them uh, through a brick wall, mm-hmm. and this is where we get Hondo wishing he still had his vehicle. So I guess apparently he wasn't pleased with Bruce's <laughs> driving and <laughs> ability to. Uh, well, he's uh, or he's had his fair share of crashes today. <laughs> true, yeah, he's had his share of crashes uh, himself. Uh, true. throughout the episodes. <laughs> Not quite as bad as Rack, but he's getting he's getting up there. Right. But uh, Gloria has a turn at Manta. My turn. I thought the game was catch. I guess it's tag. And uh, now Jackhammer's on the tail of Thunderhawk firing its lasers. Right. Matt Alex, who happens to be riding in the command center of Rhino, and I don't know how he's standing up with Bruce driving, <laughs> for help in finding a weakness. He discovers something and begins to call on Gloria, To which she replies that this job is becoming a grind as Manta begins to cut on the rear bumper of Shark. Yeah, really. Alex instructs her to use Shark polos at certain coordinates that he's going to to send to her. She power slides Shark, lowers the driver's window, and uses Aura to basically turbo boost Manta over Shark. She then positions Shark and launches the polos which strikes the hood of Manta and shatters the crystal, making the car now vulnerable. I didn't understand this whole maneuver with uh, how Vanessa turbo boosted over top of the 
you know, shark. And uh, I don't know. I, it didn't look like the aura beam was actually moving it. It was more or less shooting at it and Vanessa almost avoiding it and going over top to me. But uh, I didn't understand so that. I could figure it because, it, like you said, it didn't hit Manta. It didn't come close to it. I guess the aura beam, which we still have yet to kind of really conclude what it really does, um, basically just, I guess, made an explosion and did like a Dukes of Hazard. You hit a little divot and you're jumping over another vehicle or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it makes Manta vulnerable. Manta slides out of out of control and crashes into a wooden fence. It worked! Bravo! The crystal is like diamond. It will fracture if struck in the right spot. So now we've discovered the weakness. In fact, I was kind of curious when the bolos did hit the hood. I'm like, okay. How do you know to hit the hood? I mean, really, is that the weak spot or is it the windshield? I mean, how do you know? I guess uh, I never cut diamonds. <laughs> yeah, I will take uh, Alex's word for it on yeah, this. Really. One. So back to Matt and Dagger. Matt instructs Alex to find a similar spot on Jackhammer. Gloria, beat me at 13th and Market. Rhino, go after the gravity weapon. Did I leave anyone out? And I actually like the leadership, the command of Matt here, just instructing people where to go and meet them and, and so forth. I, I, I liked this quality or this leadership here. Well, then he jokes at the end, did I leave anybody out? Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, uh, I'm, I need to keep these people busy. <laughs> uh, Vanessa comments that the crystal armor is junk. Don't listen to her. It works great. I got masks running like rabbits. Oh, no. I'm out of here. Yeah, what a wuss. <laughs> I mean, you had Thunderhawk on the run with no ability to fly. Right. Why are you retreating? That just, oh, it irked me so much. Anyway, so Mayhem doesn't care, and he insists he'll squash them like bugs. Uh, the mass team is now back together. Matt jokes they <laughs> kind of look like Demolition Derby rejects, <laughs> which I thought that was funny. Yeah. Uh, Bruce has an idea stating, Perhaps the ugly one cannot bear to see its own face. Matt immediately knows what he means and instructs Shark to lag behind while Thunderhawk and Rhino draw Mayhem's fire. Uh, Switchblade swoops in and... Love that because, of course, me and my 80s and shows, it looked like uh, the Airwolf hammerhead stall <laughs> that they used to do to do a loop before they launched that last killing missile, you know. Yeah, yeah, that was that was really good. Um, and then it begins to project the gravity beam onto Thunderhawk and Rhino. Shark then sneaks up behind, and Gloria uses Aura to misdirect the weapon back towards the, the Switchblade cockpit. And I was like, well, what happened to the force field? Yeah. You know, there's supposed to be this force field that prote well, <laughs> to protect no, the, the force field was actually uh, kind of a, a addition to this magnetic... Or this gravity ray, because remember, that's what uh, Matt said earlier, was that this gravity device is acting like a force field. I think that's what he says in the... Uh, right, and, but he was still using the the gravity ray, so why wasn't that force field still up, and why was Aura able to break through that? It didn't really... Oh. I don't know. didn't sit well with me. Uh, Mayhem yells, the controls are jammed now, and he can't turn the beam off, and we see Switchblade crashing to the ground, Mayhem quickly exits from the cockpit 
and the beam pretty much turns Switchblade into a pile of jello. Uh, Mayhem runs down the road and hops into Manta, exclaiming, What took you so long? And he's very exhausted. You notice the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was uh, he was out of breath. Definitely, <laughs> he doesn't look like the you know most fit person uh, <laughs> in the world. <laughs> but uh, then we get Scott appearing from the alley. Uh, he's roll <laughs> rolling T Bob like a tire. Hi, Scott. Taking T Bob out for a spin. Cut the cracks. And just get me to a repair shop. I thought he said cut the crap at first. <laughs> cut the crap, Matt. Yeah, I guess it was cut the cracks. But he tells him to uh, get him to a repair shop quick. Uh, we fade back to the uh, the Boulder Hill garage then for the final scene. Right. And we see Hondo saying that he has to get back to classes. Which, what was he doing? Taking on an extended lunch break playing chess in the beginning of the whole thing? <laughs> Again, uh, it, they didn't do a very good job of the traveling oh. in this episode. The the time it took to, you know, set up the different scenes and stuff. I, I had that same thing in my mind too. Like, well, is this later? Is this must be a few weeks later or something? Or <laughs> you know, for what about we're about to see? Right, but, but maybe this all took place in one long day, and Hondo's getting ready to go for the night classes. Who knows? <laughs> I guess, I don't know. So Matt then introduces Hondo to his new vehicle. Just thought you'd like to see what you'll be driving on your next mission. Meet Night Stalker. Bruce flips a switch, and we see Night Stalker transform into a six-wheeled, gun-laden tank. And a very appreciative Hondo says, thanks, and shakes Matt's hand as we fade out. And I thought that was a... The way they did the the ending there, I was glad all of the other agents were there. You know, it was kind of a big deal. It was. It's a big deal to us. We were finally getting some new vehicles in the show, which but we're excited about. I never about. liked, of all the things, when, when we see Night Stalker, a.k.a. Hurricane, Honda's Blaster Mask, the new one, mm-hmm. I don't like it. <laughs> I just don't. That flat out. I, I just put the old mask, the Blaster Mask, back on. Well, it's interesting, and I just recently saw a uh, a picture up on Boulder Hills Instagram with uh, the correct version of Hondo and Hurricane, which is him in his normal firecracker suit, flight suit for lack of a better word, right. um, with the new mask, which lo- just looks odd to me because... In the with the toy, he's got this kind of bright yellow and pink and light blue suit, you know, that's really complementary to the the vehicle. But in the cartoon, they leave him in his old like brown and blue get up. <laughs> but I I did like the way the you know wasn't any bad jokes here. It was just all them hovered around the vehicle and it faded out to black. I thought that was really good. I like that too. Which moves us on to our PSA. We see Scott is cooking while T-Bob is washing a butter knife. The knife slips out of his hands and into an already powered on garbage disposal. Scott, give me a hand! Boy, T-Bob, you almost lost yours. Never mess around with or stick your hands into a garbage disposal. I don't know why a garbage disposal would be running... <laughs> yeah. I don't know, that's, I maybe, that's, maybe that's for the next PSA. 
I had the same thing in my notes. I was just like, why is it on? What? what you didn't show T-Bob accidentally turning it on or something, but, you know, T-Bob asked Scott for a hand, and he turns the, the disposal off and says he could have lost his hand and never mess around with the garbage disposal, and T-Bob tells him he's right, and it's dumb to mess around with one, and I was like, what, no pun? Yeah, really. There's, there's always a pun at the end of the PSA, but... I don't know. It just seemed like, okay, first, why was the disposal on, like you said? Second, why was he really playing with it rather than trying to get the knife out that he accidentally dropped in there? You know, it. I, if you're going to accidentally drop something in there, you're not going to, and it's on, you, are you really going to try to go after it? But I don't know. <laughs> it just, I just felt like Scott was a little... <laughs> A little harsh on him, I guess, for... Right, but I... It was an accident. He wasn't really messing around with the garbage disposal or in, intending to. Right, right, but I can understand why they went the way they did with the episode, because if they would have stuck T-Bob's hand in there, you know there'd be a few kids that would have tried the same stunt, for whatever reason they would. So to see <laughs> the knife, the half of the knife spinning around like it did, there's probably more palatable yeah. than having him stick his arm in there and potentially losing it or whatever morbid thing that they come up with. I agree. So, well, you want to you want to do your rating first? What did you uh what did you give the episode? I I really liked the episode, but I was torn with a few things. I I, I guess I'll comment first. I, I was still upset that there was no voice command. I know it often happens, but there was still no mask down command for Blaster. There was for Spectrum, but not for Blaster. And I, I just didn't like that. Um, that quick form change that we identified earlier, uh, just, it was out of place. Simply put, it was out of place. The transformations, we beat that one up pretty bad, but the transformations that were flipped, um, just didn't like it. I did, however, like that there was a lot of action at the beginning. I enjoyed that they brought back the mask uh, elevated room. I loved seeing that again. And it was kind of felt nice that they actually spent, it seemed like they spent a few extra seconds with it. Like to make it, yeah, we, we forgot to add this for the last ten episodes. That's yeah. <laughs> uh, I liked that Thunderhawk was utilized back and forth from car to jet mode. Uh, I enjoyed the back and forth, the drama, the detail with the vehicles, especially with the gas pedal and the gear shifting in Rhino. Uh, I actually heard the gearbox clunk in Shark when she's when she's trying to hurry up and shift it. Uh, I, I like that sound. I like hearing the sound effect. To me, that's adding the detail to it. I enjoyed the command of of Matt when he instructs the team to to do their tasks. And of course, did I leave anybody out? I like that Alex finds a weak spot and Jackhammer, as well as uh, Manta. Rhino targeting the gravity machine. Gloria meeting Matt. I, I, I just love this command that Matt was doing. The jokes were excessive, and it was even written into the show, like we identified that Gloria was mentioning it to Alex in the, in the Situation Room, the War Room. So we're aware that the, even the riots know that their jokes are excessive. Nonetheless, I really enjoyed it. I, it was hard for me to give it a solid four. I, I gave it a four point five again. I just I couldn't come down to a four yet. 
So uh, <laughs> we round up, we round it up to five. But it's it, this episode. If I could, out of all of the the ones I've rated four point five, if I could, I'd leave it at a four, solid four point five. I just couldn't give it a five. Um, willfully <laughs> rounding up, we'll give it a five, and I voted as a five. But that transformation, and, and like I said earlier, the, the civvies and stuff that that killed it for me. How about you? Well, I'd mentioned uh, at the halfway point that I was around a four, and I still felt there was enough that bothered me to drop it maybe another full point uh, in the second half, even though there was some stuff that I liked. Um, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do here. I might be getting a little ahead of myself, but um, I was I was right between the three and the three and a half, okay? And I was going back uh, just this last week listening to some episodes. I listened to the Mardi Gras Mystery, which I think was number 21. I felt like I should have given that one a five. I, I gave it a four. So I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt here. And I'm going to give it that 3.5, and I rounded up to 4. So I, I gave the episode a 4. The good part, I mean, it was the mortality of the vehicles. Like we always say, I love seeing the Venom get the upper hand, and there's doors being shot off and weapons being uh, made inoperable. So, I mean, that was good. The animation, I thought, was pretty good. The I loved that little funhouse look when yeah. T-Bob was looking through that crystal, you know. Um, the setup for the mission, although it was brief, um, I, okay, I'm I'm kind of bought into that, the mystery of it, and even though we got a train in consecutive episodes to begin, obviously back then nobody would have noticed that, but us going through uh, each episode in in sequential order, we see that, but um, and you know, obviously. This has been one of the episodes I've been waiting for to get a new vehicle, um, one that was the, my favorite as a kid. So it was really hard for me to to totally trash it, you know, <laughs> or, or to to make the bad outweigh the good. But you know, like I said before, I think they waited too long for the episode to develop, and it just really felt like those transition shots were really missed in the second half of the episode. They were just going from boom to it was like hours later but it was just one scene you know or one quick fade to the to the next scene in the episode it was you know when the team was arriving in philadelphia and then there was a part there where scott and t-bob were gonna leave the hotel and go to the mint there wasn't any kind of transition there for them driving there um i think they should have exploited the mask vehicles a little more with you know their weapons being disabled yeah take advantage of that i mean there's just they're Jackhammer's running off and not taking advantage that Thunderhawk is grounded, basically. You know, when is he going to get this opportunity again? I really wanted to see a situation where he couldn't fly and, and have him try to use his wits about him, Matt, to, to get out of it, you know, but they never did set up anything like that. We talked about the stock footage of Thunderhawk taking off. That was a little bit too, that was overkill. The main thing that really bugged me in the second half was how Aura was able to suddenly break that force field that the gravity weapon was supposed to have on Switchblade. You know, that wasn't really... They could have set it up, and I would have been fine with it. Uh, use your Aura Beam on this setting to break the force field. And then there was... I don't know. Mask was using their masks, but I don't think we had a Venom guy use their mask the whole episode. 
um, which kind of bugged me. I, it's been a while, but then I thought of it. It seemed like that uh, we've seen Viper be used or mm-hmm. all of that. So uh, I just I I want to see the mask. I love the mask battles when oh yeah you know they're shooting torch and backlash breaks it or something and I like them going back and forth in the battles. But um, that was just I guess that was more of a tick that they didn't use the masks more on the Venom side this episode. I was kind of confused with the final scene, like you mentioned, with Matt and Hondo driving up, and you know maybe they would have been back in their civilian clothes, uh, and that would have been enough for me to to make it. All right, this is a a couple weeks later, and right. Bruce has cooked up this new vehicle for him, and they're all there to surprise him, you know. But that just didn't happen. Uh, that was more of a tick. The, the gravity beam was a little inconsistent with how it squashed the vehicles. It it seemed at times it worked a lot quicker than others. I don't know if you noticed that. But those times when they were on Thunderhawk and Rhino, I'm like, all right, something should be melting on that thing by now. <laughs> you know? That was just kind of my own little tick. And where at the end where it was pointed at the front of Switchblade, and the whole thing kind of collapsed where it would have been better just to kind of smush the front end and kind of work your way back towards the, the rear of the copter. I, I, I don't know. That was just, again, these are ticks. <laughs> um, and then Venom's mission really wasn't all that clear. I mean, I guess it were, they were there to steal from the Mint and use the gravity ray and these crystal shields as weapons against Mask, but they didn't really have time to bookend... Uh, mask recovering the coins that they stole. You know, they didn't kind of wrap that all up. Um, didn't like the turbo boost trick like we mentioned before. And then Matt's one point landing with Thunderhawk that wasn't really necessary. And the, I'm glad the PSA was new, but, you know, it didn't really tie into the episode very much. And they always earn a little bit more bonus points, I guess, when, when, tie in. when it ties in at the end. And, I felt T-Bob was more of a victim of circumstance and actually misbehaving, you know, in the PSA. But are you sure? You so that's your rating, right? I'm sorry. Are you sure you don't want to move your rating? <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm. I, if if I hadn't had identified a, an area where I wanted to give an episode a little bit more, and I probably would have given this a three, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a four and just to kind of even things out where I want it to be. So <laughs> it, 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 it helped that I had gone back and I'd listened to some of the other mass casts and thought I was a little too harsh before on one of the episodes. So, well, you, did you see any tie-ins to the movie script we wrote? I saw one. It was slight though. We crashed Switchblade. That's the one I liked. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Um, that really wasn't, uh, I guess he did crash it after he, uh, yeah, I mean, it was kind of uh, reactive on its on his own. I mean, really, it wasn't like an ours where we where mass shoots him out of the sky type of thing. It was it was like a reaction because of something. Yeah. Did you see anything? I I really didn't in the midst of the episode. Um, what I was thinking about, if I remember right, we have a bit of an Easter egg in there where we're at Boulder Hill and. I want to say either Hurricane or Firecracker, they're up on the on the lift, and Bruce is working on them and yes, yes. kind of comes away, and I, I can't remember what the whole scene was about, but that's how we 
kind of set up a sequel, hopefully, you know, where we're inserting more vehicles in there than we're using actually in the in the movie. And then I can I can picture where it's at. Um, we we see Rhino basically being completed, uh, or in the ah. stage we have like a tarp over the command center back end, but beside him on the lift, like you indicated, there's there is. I think it's Hurricane. I don't think we put Firecracker in this one, or at least not in, in the in the Easter egg side. But I think it's Hurricane sitting up on a lift, just to to tease people. <laughs> yeah, and to uh, to also emphasize that we wanted to kind of sort of do something like the Back to the Future thing, where you can't just have one; you got to have at least two. <laughs> well, I was thinking more along the lines of. Uh in the first Iron Man movie when they're at the end and they're ready to battle and uh, Rhodey, his buddy, kind of looks back at another suit that's that's sitting there in, in Tony Stark's garage and he's like, next time, baby, you know, and takes off in the in the truck to go help out instead of in the suits. And I kind of had that sense with this where the audience gets a, a quick feel for there's going to be, you know, more to come in, in this story, you know, later down the road in new vehicles and stuff. So right. I'm really glad we put that in there. So, well, let's jump over to our listener feedback. And first, the poll looks like we had seven votes this time. Uh, two for a five, two for a four, two for a three, and one one, uh, which I wouldn't be that harsh on it, but... uh Somebody obviously thought this one wasn't that great, which I'm not sure why, but um, I guess we're hovering around the four range, so my <laughs> my assessment, I guess, was more along the lines of what people were thinking, and we had uh, one comment this time from our buddy Anna. Right, she writes, this is a really good episode. It has a good story and some great action scenes. I especially like the scene where Hondo first spots Vanessa and Dagger, but I also like the scenes at the end where the Venom vehicles are covered in crystal. The best thing about this episode is, however, that we get to see the vulnerability of the vehicles. Firecracker gets completely destroyed and is then replaced with a vehicle which in this episode is called Night Stalker, but in all the other episodes is referred to as Hurricane. I read somewhere that the reason the name was changed was that there was a serial killer called Night Stalker, and they thought people could find it offending if the vehicle had the same name. But I don't know if that's this is true. I think it's strange that we don't see anything similar happening with the Venom vehicles. They get destroyed every other episode, but still come back as good as new in the next. Which is true. I mean, it's it just like, uh, uh, well, all the cartoons do that. Uh, and even in the real life shows, we see, you know, A-Team, Dukes, Knight Rider, even Airwolf, you know, they... They get hit up, they get blown up or whatever, and then the very next even scene, not even episode, it's the next scene, it's a brand new car. Yeah. So it's the it's the creativity and the uh, Hollywood magic, so to speak. I would imagine that you know they had time to repair, or they're never vulnerable, <laughs> even though they are. Right, right. I, and I I kind of see where she's going with it too, and I don't know. I've oftentimes thought Hondo was the racks of mask in that he was seemingly wrecking firecracker every other episode and <laughs> people having to bail him out and i don't know uh it just seems kind of different that they would go ahead and 
and uh, and and get a new vehicle at this point. But we are, you know, a third of the way, over a third of the way through the show. And well, of course, they didn't know that at the time, but they knew that we were going to get at least sixty-five episodes, I think, to begin with. So, uh, and they had to, you know, roll out the new <laughs> toy line at some point. So, I guess this was just a point where they thought it would be good to finally go ahead and add something new to the show. Right. So, well, we appreciate Anna, as always, uh, our faithful uh, reviewer, and uh, appreciate her comments, and we will uh, look forward to some more comments, hopefully in the next episode. And in that episode, um, our next podcast, we'll tackle uh, another review from the animated series, which will be episode number 30, The Lost Riches of Rio. And the plot in this episode consists of Venom stealing a seemingly worthless painting in Rio de Janeiro, but Mask learns it actually contains a secret map to lost treasure. So this ought to be interesting as we uh, go after treasure again. Um, As we talked about a little bit before, as far as our upcoming Mask cast schedule, our plan is actually to release the Lost Riches of Rio podcast and our episode 21 to 30 wrap up uh, before the new year and we're also trying to put together uh, I guess you would say a pretty aggressive game plan (laughs) by our standards yeah uh, for 2015 in that um, our plan is really to release two episodes a month and hopefully we will be actually up to mask episode 50 by 2016 so can we do it (laughs) I guess we'll see. We'll see if that can happen. But, you know, two episodes a month plus uh, maybe a few, you know, fun ones mixed in. I want to review the Series 2 toy since we're going to be getting some new vehicles, you know, in the series. And hopefully we'll get uh, some more interviews. Maybe we'll get Eric back on and talk about the uh, the, the second series of comics that uh, DC Comics released. So, you know, we've got some other ones that we're hoping to mix in and and to have a little fun with so hopefully we can uh, keep with that plan and uh, we'll get a keep a schedule down for uh, Wyatt and I to record on a on a regular basis and you'll get a couple episodes a month but just a reminder if you want to interact with us between episodes you know just send us a message to our Facebook page or tweet us at Agents of Mask and of course as always visit our website at agentsofmask.com and Join us with the uh, the little Simon in the right-hand column uh, each time before we uh, we record. Right, and it's been another great episode, another awesome mask cast. On behalf of Jason, this is Wyatt, and thank you once again for joining us on Mask Cast.